0: lord god our song is of you it is you you are our song and our joy lord that you have invited us into the story of what you are telling through your own life is a mystery beyond us it's a mystery that draws us lord in that journey of faith and we ask now that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts join you in that journey lord and that we would take steps pleasing to you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, the message today really tells us something about boldness. This story of Peter and John. And it makes me think of some of the bold people I know, like my friend Salim. He's bold. Salim is bold because he's dedicated his life to doing something that most people would consider impossible. If not crazy. Well, I can tell you, Salim is not crazy. What he is, is a Christian. And what he's dedicated his life to is a problem that is perhaps the most intractable problem on the face of the earth. His goal is to bring reconciliation between Palestinians and Israelis. And he believes that in the power of Jesus, that can happen. So what he does is... He takes young people, he recruits them out of the Palestinian Arab churches and out of the Israeli Messianic Jewish churches, and he takes them out in the desert together for a week. They learn to depend on one another, and they discover that they truly are brothers and sisters in Christ. And they come away changed, and they come away with a new recognition for who they are and for who the other is. It's an amazing ministry. Well, last month, I had the privilege of going there and joining Salim and 40 others on a desert encounter. There were a third of us Palestinian. There were a third Israeli. And there were a third internationals like me. And we spent the week hiking and riding camels and worshiping together out in the desert. And it was a powerful experience. It was an experience in the faith journey. But the first couple days I was there, I wasn't so sure. I actually was having a hard time imagining that the very sand in the very desert that I was walking in was the same desert that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had walked through. And I was trying to wrap my mind around the idea of God who would speak to a particular man named Abraham at a particular time, in a particular place, and that through that one man's faith, All the earth would be blessed and bring about the salvation that God was to send through Jesus. I was having a hard time bridging the gap between the story I read in the Bible and myself. And being right there in the Holy Land wasn't some kind of automatic booster shot to my faith. My faith did come away strengthened, but it was it was for a different reason, very different reasons. It came away strengthened because I was caught up in the middle of a story that God was telling through these people that I was with. And it was being immersed in that story that is the life-changing experience, I think, for all of us. I think it's the same way for my friend Selim. I don't believe he's bold because he lives in Jerusalem, and so he's constantly in touch with the First Century Church through the history of it. It's surrounding him. And... I don't think it's because his roots are as a Palestinian Arab Christian that his ethnic and cultural roots date back to the very first century church. I don't think that's it either. I think his faith comes from living in the middle of something God is doing. The most amazing thing that God truly does bring people together who by no other reason would come together. I mean, look at it. Everything about their culture, their identity, their history, their teaching, their upbringing. The messages they hear, everything is stacked against these people ever being reconciled. They are literally taught to be enemies. But in Jesus Christ, they come together. They're embracing one another and forgiving one another and worshiping God together, singing out in the desert in in Hebrew and Arabic and English. And we had Muslim families gathered around in the open air worship. And you should have seen the way that the men would come up to the perimeter of where we were. And the look in their eyes. And so it makes you realize that people all over the earth are the same. We all want to hear some good news. We all want to to see that God's love really does change the world. And the only way this happens is in Jesus. There is no other name. There is no other way. It's a living proof that Jesus really did come to save the world. I want to believe that. Not only do I want to believe it, but I want to live a life that shows I believe it. And I want to live a grace-filled life that, that shares it with other people. That's exciting living. That's the kind of adventure that God has invited us into. That's what I see in Peter and John. In the story that Terry just read for us. But I know I'm not Peter. I'm maybe a Peter Wannabe. I mean I, I want to see the glory and I, I, I want to see the living proof of the gospel worked out in people's lives and reconciliation and healings taking place and, and people coming to know Jesus and, and I, I want to see all that and be part of that. But I'm no Peter. I'm not even I'm no John. And I don't want to go around and get myself arrested for my preaching either. But there's still something in this story that just grabs me and that, that I think we all need to learn something from. It's a story that is a turning of a new chapter in the life of the church. Look at what happens in the history of the early church in Acts. The church goes from this little ragtag band of believers to this world covering movement. And it's, this is a turning point right here. Because this is the first time that the followers of Jesus go out and they get themselves arrested. And what did they do? Well, let me set the stage for you. To do that, we need to turn back one chapter to the beginning of chapter 3. And you can just read along with me. Beginning of chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And then this man goes leaping and jumping and he clings to Peter and John. they go into the temple and there's a crowd forming and Peter has to explain what's going on. And he says this, you Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? God raised Jesus from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And it's right here while Peter and John are explaining to people what has happened, that they get arrested. But what's their offense? A cripple is healed? A crowd is forming? No clear reason is given for their arrest, except this that Terry read. It says that the religious leaders were, quote, much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming, then in Jesus, there is resurrection of the dead. And you know, the same thing is happening all over the world today. Wherever you find people being arrested and thrown in jail for preaching Jesus' resurrection of the dead, you will find a church that has boldness in the Holy Spirit. You will find amazing things happening in the life of the church. You will find healings happening. It's happening now, around the world. So their are Was that it was teaching that message. It wasn't stirring up the crowd. It wasn't healing somebody. Inciting a crowd might have been enough to frighten the authorities. Might have been enough to get them in trouble. But the thing that really torques the high priest is that they're preaching Jesus raised from the dead. Now, get this right. Pay attention to this. It's these two things. Jesus, the name of Jesus and the resurrection Combined, that causes the trouble. If you just take the name of Jesus by itself, what harm have you done? After all, you can just throw him in the ring with all the other great spiritual teachers and gurus and pretenders. And he becomes one more of the many. No, nothing offensive about that. Or you could talk about resurrection. What's so offensive about that? It's just another word for that kind of mystical idea that so many people share that there's life after death and there's something eternal about that life. But it's when you take these two things together, the name of Jesus and the resurrection, and you combine them that you hit the trouble and you've done something that overturns. All the powers and authorities and dominions and rulers and principalities that people are going to raise up of themselves. All those things are overthrown. All the powers of darkness are overthrown when you combine Jesus and raised from the dead. That's why it's a dangerous idea. That's why Peter and John got arrested. That was a direct affront. Not just to these high priests, but to all powers on the face of the earth. Because there's a higher authority that they've all got an answer to. Now, so allow me to stop right here, because it's very easy at this point to say, oh, yeah. But that's it's all it's a myth. That's the story that his followers made up. And there's no proof of it. Well, maybe not. But I find the evidence pretty compelling. And look at it this way. If there were one shred of evidence to the contrary, don't you think it would have been used here by the high priest? This stuff all happened right before their eyes in Jerusalem. And look who Peter and John are talking to. They're talking to Annas and Caiaphas, the very two high priests who handed Jesus over to be crucified. Those are the people he's talking to. If they had one shred of evidence, don't you think they would have used it at every opportunity throughout this history to shoot down the followers of Jesus, to destroy the faith of the people until there were none left because nobody is going to go on persisting in a lie? That is not what human history has shown There's not a shred of evidence against what Peter and John are saying. In fact, what we learn is that the priests and their entourage are silenced by what they're presented. By the message and before, by the evidence that's standing right in front of them. The healed man is standing right there. Perfectly whole. That everybody in town knew was a cripple for 40 years. Now there's some kind of evidence. And it's when that evidence of the living power of Jesus... And the message of Jesus raised from the dead come together? The world doesn't have an answer to that. There's no way to refute that. And after all, that's what Peter and John were doing. They were simply started off by by healing someone. But that simple witness overturns all powers of the world. And Peter was bold enough to say so right here. But I still got to wonder, is that boldness just for Peter? Or is it just for John? And what is it with John anyway? I mean, we keep hearing Peter and John, Peter and John, Peter and John did this, Peter and John said that. But what did John say? I mean, he's not even quoted. He apparently didn't say anything memorable. But, you know, I have a feeling that Peter wouldn't have said anything memorable either. And that Peter wouldn't have been so bold if John hadn't been standing there right alongside him the whole time. You know, sometimes the most powerful witness is the silent witness of just taking a stand and standing there. People will notice it. God will use it. You don't always have to say something about it. A silent stand can bring down the walls of injustice. And Peter and John are modeling that kind of witness to us, both kinds. And so I want to look where they both got that boldness from. Where does it come from? Because I know it's not something we manufacture for ourselves. It's not a case of screwing up our courage in the morning, getting ready to face the world by popping in a motivational cassette tape of Zig Ziglar or Oprah or Dr. Phil They may have great things to teach us. They may may even teach us things that are worth believing in. But we don't believe in Dr. Phil. That's not the source of this kind of boldness. This is something entirely different. This is the kind of boldness from believing in someone. From believing in someone named Jesus. It's not the kind of boldness that comes from screwing up our courage by getting ourselves motivated to believe in ourselves and to believe in our power to go out and do what we need to do. No. In fact, we may not feel the courage to go out and do it. We may not even feel that way. But we still believe that there is a Savior and His name is Jesus. And He can redeem whatever situation we're in. That's boldness. And people who believe that are dangerous people. Are not. Dangerous in the ordinary sense of the word. They're not dangerous because they're going to hurt someone. They're dangerous because they are the embodiment of a truth that overturns everything that would get in its way. A truth that was meant to redeem the world. And that's the kind of life I want us to live. And what can we learn from Peter and John about where that comes from? Where does that kind of boldness come from? Where does the boldness of... Martin Luther King Jr. come from to say I have a dream and he got thrown in jail for his preaching his dream that children of different colors could play together and that their families could be reconciled to one another or what about my friend Saleem? he has a dream his dream is that little Palestinian children and little Israeli children could play together and that their families could be reconciled to one another. And the same thing gives life to both of those dreams. The cornerstone is Jesus. That's what gives life to those kinds of dreams. And that's bold. And that's why the boldest thing that anyone can say is that there is no other name under heaven given to mortals by which we must be saved. I believe that each and every one of us should have the privilege, the privilege of saying that at some point in our lives. The privilege of discovering how God works through that. And this is the source then of Peter and John's boldness as we turn back to the text and we read this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men. By the way, the word ordinary there. It's, it's the same word we get, the word idiot. Idiotes. Simpletons. So, when they, the priests saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated simpletons. They were amazed. And they recognized them. Because they had been with Jesus. They were with Jesus. It's the same for you and me. We're not all Peter. We're not all John. And I can't tell you what boldness is supposed to look like for you. And I can't tell you what kind of witness Jesus is asking you to be or how he wants you to live out your faith. But one thing I can tell you for certain, you and I both need the same thing to do it. You and I both need to spend more time with Jesus. Spend more time with Jesus. And I can't tell you what will happen when you do. Can't tell you what that kind of boldness is going to look like in your life. Can't tell you how much boldness that's going to take. But I can tell you one thing for sure. It's going to be exactly the amount of boldness that he gives you. Whatever it is, you don't need any more than that. He'll provide whatever it is. And you will be amazed at what He can accomplish through it. He can overturn the world and redeem it. He can heal a cripple. He can energize your life to be with Him. Heavenly Father, we praise You. We praise Your name, Jesus. We pray that we might know what it looks like To live a life of praising your name, Jesus. And lifting it up. And Lord, we struggle along the way. It's so often hard for us to find our way to you. To trust our faith. So we pray that you would give us what we need. You'd give us just enough faith to make it through one more day in your direction. And that when we find you, Lord, in our lives, that you'll give us the boldness. To trust you and believe in you. And we pray for the joy and grace of seeing that happen. In your name. Amen.